church. How are you doing this morning? That was powerful. Is worship on point today or what? This is just incredible. Good to have you here. Touch your neighbor and say, it's so good to see you. So good to see you. Touch your neighbor and say, and you're so lucky to see me. You're just so lucky to see me today. It's not every day you get to come see me. Good to have you. You may be seated. Good to have each and every one of you. Grab your Bible and turn to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, if you would. We're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter number one. Verse number one, Bible says, these be the words which Moses spoke unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness. In the plain over against the Red Sea between Para and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dishub. These, there are 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea was the promised land. This is God speaking to the children of Israel. God said it's an 11 day journey from Egypt to your promise. Church, help me. How long did it take the children of Israel to get there? 40 years. God said it's an 11-day journey, but it took them 40 years. What happened? The scripture is going to tell us right now. And it came to pass in the 40th year, the 11th month, on the first day of the month, Moses spoke unto the children of Israel according to unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sihon, king of the Amorites, which dwelt in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt at Astroth and Enderi. On this side, Jordan, in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mountain. You've dwelt long enough in this mountain. Turn you and take your journey and go to the mount of the Amorites unto all the places near thereunto in the plain in the hills and the vale in the south by the sea in the land of the Canaanites. What is God saying to do? He's saying conquer the land. He's saying go in every part of it. Go forward. Because verse number eight, behold, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give unto them and to their seed after them. And I spake unto you at that time, saying, I am not able to bury you myself alone. The Lord your God has multiplied you. Behold, you are this day as the stars of heaven for multitude. The Lord God of your fathers make you a thousand times more as you are and bless you as he has promised you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. We love you. And Lord, we pray that you would do something special in our midst. We're so humbled and honored by the fact that we get to worship openly and freely in this place. Our brothers and sisters across the world, they had to go to church in hiding and in secret. But yet today, we got to come here in a comfortable setting, an air-conditioned auditorium, with all the comfort and accoutrements that a church could offer. And Lord, I pray that we'd be better for it. May we not just be comfortable and complacent, but would you help us to be courageous? We love you, Father. We pray your blessing on the word in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I'm so excited about what God is doing here. And I'm just going to grab this podium real quick. Bear with me just for a second. Let's get it together. I grew up in Fresno. And uh, Fresno is a great city. I love Fresno. Do I have any Fresno fans in the house? Any Fresno fans? No, didn't think so. Not much love for Fresno. It's too hot, right? That's what you guys are thinking. It's just so hot. Don't like it. But here's the thing about, that's great about Fresno is that it's got this small town feel, but it's a bigger city. So I really enjoyed it. I loved growing up there. And when I was there and growing up there, I worked at a place called Steinmart. Do I have anybody that has ever heard of Steinmart? Any, anybody? A few of you have heard of Steinmart. That's incredible. Some of you have no idea what Steinmart is. And they didn't just sell beer steins. That's not what the store was. It was like an upscale Ross or 
Marshalls. That's, that's what Steinmart was. And I worked there for many years, many years. And uh, my first month there, I got employee of the month. Employee of the month. I was so proud of that. Man, employee of the month. Come on. I even got a parking space for my bicycle. Pedal on the bike, park there, kicks in. Yes, right. Couldn't even drive. So I was like, I'm using my parking spot. People are like, hey man, can I park your parking spot? No, you can't park. It's mine. I'm employee of the month. You don't even have a car. I don't care. I'll put a matchbox car there, okay? I don't care. It's my parking spot, all right? That's mine. Get off my big bad self. And you got a $50 gift card, so it was pretty cool. Well, whenever I go back to Fresno, and now that I have some kids and a wife, guess what we do? I drag them, and it's kind of our pilgrimage. It's kind of like this sacred journey that we go to Steinmart, and we go all the way over there, and man, I go back, and they had put my name on a plaque on the wall that I was employed the month in 2001, and I'm like, yes, that's my name. And I went there this last year, and they moved the plaque. It's like, no, 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 wait a minute, hold on, we need to go back, let's get the plaque. Where's the plaque? Where's the plaque? And then they, they were like, oh, we moved that plaque around the corner, it's on the back, it's like behind some golf shirts. It's like, man, this is disappointing. Here's the, the sad part about when I go back to Steinmart, is the fact that when I go back there, it's interesting who's still there to this day. They still work there. Not bad people. They just got stuck. You say, well, they're managers now. Nope. Well, they're like a lead now, aren't they? Nope. Well, they're, it's a good thing that money, the, the minimum wage has gone up because otherwise they wouldn't be making a whole lot more. What happens is they got comfortable and they just got stuck. They just stayed. They just stayed. It was a good job. It was an easy job. I could just do this with my eyes closed and they just stayed. Here's what I see happen in my own life. I get comfortable with something and I just stay there. I just stay there. People tell me all the time, why do you crowd and do CrossFit? It's so dangerous. It's so unhealthy. You're going to hurt yourself. It's no worse than me sitting on my couch just eating potato chips and drinking Dr. Pepper. I mean, you, you get to choose how you're going to die. You know what I mean? You, they're both killing you. They both are, all right? The one, you just feel a little bit better afterward. The other one, you're like, oh, I'm depressed. I eat potato chips and drink Dr. Pepper. And you find the potato chip, you eat it, you know, and all that. You find the crumbs. Don't look at me like I'm weird. I know you people have done the same thing, little crumbs, you know, you know we're, we've all done it. It's okay. It's okay. My wife, it's so awesome. We went to a restaurant yesterday, and she's expecting. And she was all embarrassed because food fell, and the baby caught it. The baby caught it. So I said, hey, the baby wanted some. It's okay. It's all right. And so, but what happens is we can get stuck. Would you touch your neighbor and say, it's time? It's time. I think you and I, we can get stuck in a moment. We can get stuck in a place. We can get stuck in a pattern, in a rhythm. We just get in a rut, Maybe it's been a rut where you're like, I'm just not really feeling like going to school and I need to finish school. Maybe it's a rut that I need to move on with this job and you're not moving on. Maybe it's a rut spiritually. You're just like, ah, man, I don't even read my Bible anymore just because it's like, it just seems so just old hat. It just doesn't even seem like it's alive. It doesn't seem like it's speaking to me. I'm just in this rut this morning. And it's time where we see, just like God was telling the children of Israel, it's time to move on. It's time to Go. And in verse number six, the Bible says, The Lord our God spoke unto us and said, You've dwelt long enough here. It's time to move. It's time to pack up the REI sleeping bag and tent and the gear. And let's get going. We've got a promise. We've got to move on to something. And instead of just sitting here and enjoying the past, because some of us, we can't love what is because we're wishing for what was. We can't love what is because we're wishing for what was. How odd would it be if I got in my car and I get on the 101 freeway and I'm going to head north and I'm going to go drive to San Francisco. And I'm in my car, but the entire time that I'm driving, I'm not looking out the windshield. 
I'm driving my car, but I'm looking at the rearview mirror the whole time. You're saying, that's no bueno. That's not good. There's going to be a pileup. There's going to be an accident. I've seen that person on the freeway. It's terrible. But I see people live their lives like that. Their entire life. Man, when I was in college, I was really something. Oh, man, you should have seen me. Man, when I first got that one job, I was really something great. Oh, man, church back then, that was church. Oh, man, God used to work. And we're living life out of a little rearview mirror. Instead of saying, God, what have you called me to? God, where do you want me to pursue? God, what steps do I need to take to grow? Come on, we're almost done with October. It's November and then December. Two months left in the year. How are we doing with our commitments at the beginning of January? This is going to be the year that I quit this and I start this. This is going to be that year. And all of a sudden we're thinking, oh man, there's two months left in the year. How am I doing? Because we got stuck. Instead of saying, Lord, I've got a moment here. You don't want me to stay stuck and you're going to help me get out of this and you're going to lead me on. So it's time to move on from the past and into our promise. It's time to move on from the past and into the promise that God has given to you. God is laying out a promise for his people. He's got a promise for us. The apostle Paul wrote it down like this. He said, brothers, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press towards the mark of the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, hey, I'm not going to live in the past. The past is the past. So I need to put the past behind me and let it go. I can't live in the past. How bad would it be if I constantly, whenever I was around my wife, talked about old girlfriends? How good do you think my marriage would be? Some of you, you got to look on your face like you've actually done that. And I worry for you. I pray for you. My goodness. You know, it, you just know it's not going to go well, right? And some of you guys that are dating, you're like, what's wrong with that? I'm just, uh, you're going to learn. You're going to learn. It's all right. You'll learn. But understand that you can't live in the past and try to go on to your future. But yet we have Christians. We've got followers that they constantly want to look back at what God has done instead of looking forward. Now, we do remember the past. We do remember it. They're mile markers along life. That God uses, that says, hey, this is the day you were saved. This is the day that I called you. This is the day that I transformed you. You need those mile markers along life. But God is not wanting you to live in the past. I noticed something about the past. The past is always better than it really was. Really. When I think about my past, I was a much better basketball player than I really was. I think I was taller. I think my wingspan was better. I think I scored more points. And who's to know? Nobody's keeping track. So I could say all kinds of stuff. And so the past, we can always make it seem a little bit better instead of enjoying what we have now and seeing all that God's doing. The children of Israel constantly complained to Moses. And what did they say? Oh, we want to go back to Egypt because they have garlic. They have leeks. And we want to go back because we like garlic. And we didn't mind that we were beat on and we were slaves. And they would take our children and they'd throw them into the river. We don't mind that because we love garlic. Must have been Italian, couldn't be Israelites. I mean, they just loved their garlic. I mean, it was all about the garlic, right? No. How is it that our mind can block out any traumatic memory and we can only focus on the positive? They didn't want to go into what God had for them because why? They didn't want to move past their past into the promise. Here's the thing. This is interesting. If you go to Joshua chapter number six, something 
interesting that God points out in Joshua chapter number six is this one verse, verse number 12. The Bible says this is when Joshua brought the, the people into the land. They're about to take over in Jericho. The Bible says, and the manna ceased on the morrow and they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. It's a verse, we see it, we skip over it, and we think, ah, oh, what's the big deal? The manna ceased. You know the name for manna is, what is it? That's literally what manna means. What is it? And maybe some of you, you've looked at your mom, she served you something, and you look back at her, and what is it? I don't know what this is. What is it? It's not manna. And the children of Israel, that's what manna was. But all of a sudden, they get into the promised land, and the manna, it's gone. It's done. For 40 years, that's how God had worked. For 40 years, it was a good way. God provided. He gave to the children. It was their nourishment. It was their sustaining. That's how they existed. It was off the manna. And then one day, they get into the promise. It's done. No more free lunch. You had to go and grow it, kill it, grill it. That's the way God wanted it done in the promised land. And all of a sudden, it would have been real easy to say, no, 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 I want to be back and wandering in the desert. Here, God is saying, hey, I did something for a time, and it was a good thing. But I'm done doing that. What are the things in your life that God has said, I'm stopped working that way. I want to work in a different way. I find that I put God in a proverbial box all the time. God, work in this little box. This is how I want you to work. This is how my perfect little life is. And God, this is how I want everything to go. This is how I want you to work. And God steps back and says, that's not who I am. You see, God doesn't have a duplex for a throne. He sits on the throne of your heart. And so God gets to make the decisions. He is ruling and reigning. He gets to decide. We don't get to put God in a box and say, this is how you need to work. This is how I want my life to work. No, God says, I'm going to work how I see fit. And God says, the manna ceased. And some things in your life have ceased and we're wishing for what was. And we're just like, oh, I just want to go back to that. And God is saying, but I've got something so much better for you. Something so much better. It's interesting when you study this whole passage leading up to the promised land, how many spies did Moses send into the children of Israel? Anybody remember? Shout it out if you've got it. Twelve. Twelve. He originally sent twelve men to spy out the land. And we see this in Numbers chapter number 13 and 14. In Numbers 13, the Bible says that the 12 came back and they had clusters of grapes and they're talking about how good the land is and the people are all excited about the promised land that God is going to give them. But yet, 10 of them, 10, said, we can't do it though. But it's amazing. We don't have time, but in verse 22, down to verse 25, they're talking about how wonderful the land is. But then down in verse 32, once the people are kind of excited about the land, these 10 guys, they say this, and they brought up an evil report of the land. Wait a minute, wait a minute. In verses 22 through verse 25, they're talking about the grapes, they're talking about the honey, they're talking about the milk, they're talking about how good the land is. But then later on, they're saying how evil the land is, how bad the land is. What are they doing? They're lying. Because they know the people would actually go if they didn't lie. If they didn't lie about that future, the people would go in. These 10 said, we don't want to go. But how are we going to get 2 million people to not go? We have to lie. So that's what they did. They spread rumors. They started gossiping. And they started saying, it's really not that great. Oh, this honey, it's really not that sweet. It's not organic. It's not from Whole Foods. It's not the one I've got in my farmer's market. Man, this is cheap stuff. No, this isn't the real stuff. And instead of saying, you know what, we can do it, 10 people, a minority, got the whole majority to pick up stones and wanted to stone two men, Joshua and Caleb. 
It's interesting when you think about who got to go into the promised land. Who didn't, who didn't. There was an entire generation of people who never got to go into the promised land. Entire generation. Even Moses didn't get to go. Not just Moses. Aaron didn't get to go. Moses' brother, he was the priest. He didn't get to go in the promised land. And Miriam, Miriam didn't go in. There's these three awesome Bible characters. They didn't get to go in. But there was this generation that did, and Joshua and Caleb did. Numbers 14, verse 24, it says why Joshua and Caleb got to go in. You know why they got to go in? The Bible says they were men of a different spirit. Isn't that incredible? That God is looking for men and women of a different spirit to do great things through. God doesn't do the extraordinary through the ordinary. He looks for people that have an extraordinary spirit. He says, God, this is what I am. I know it's not much, but Lord, would you do it to do something that I'm not capable of? If you read scripture and if you follow scripture, when Jesus appeared to Joshua and he says, hey, take your shoe from off your foot. It's not plural. It's singular. Joshua's a man of war. It's quite logical that he actually lost his foot in war but he's a soldier. We never notice these things in scripture. It would have been really easy for Joshua to say, I can't do this. I'm missing a leg. What do I do? Like hop. And he didn't do, it's merely a flesh wound. He didn't do that. No, no, he didn't. He didn't just say, no, it's not. He kept on going. And he said, hey, he took the shoe off his foot. And he said, you know what? I'm going to follow God no matter what I am. I'm going to pursue God because he says, I'm not going to live in the past. I'm going to take and embrace my promise. Instead of living in the past, he said, God has something for me, something on the horizon. And so I need to pursue it. I'm not going to get stuck in a moment. Don't get stuck in a moment because otherwise we turn into dead monuments. See, if we get stuck in a moment, we lose our momentum. There's a great movie. And uh, some of you, this may be before your time. It was Rocky one, two and three. See, I have some Rocky fans here. Wow, I knew I loved this church. So good, so good. Here's the neat thing about Rocky. In the third movie, somebody comes to him. His name's Apollo. And Apollo comes to him and he says something to Rocky. And he says, Rocky, you've lost your fighting edge. You've lost the eye of a tiger. That was Apollo. The guy that he was against becomes his trainer. And if Apollo could speak now, I think he would say the same thing. You've lost the eye of the tiger. You've lost the passion. You've lost the drive. You got stuck in a moment. You got stuck in something that God never intended you to. God never intended that the journey from Egypt to the promised land become where they settled. And there was a generation that said, this is good enough. And there is a good enough generation. And there's a generation that's saying, hey, can't you just settle? Can't you just be content? Can't you just wait? Can't you just stop? And my answer is no, we can't. Because lives are on the line. A world needs to be changed. A church is to be about it, business of the gospel. There can't be a time where we just sit down, take it easy, and just wait and let somebody else do it. We're here for this moment, for this one precious moment. And we must seize the moment in the season of of the moment. We can't let it go by. We can't think some other church will do it. We must say, God, why have you put me here? It's to be a shining light and example to a lost world that needs you. And so I'm going to shine as bright as I can. I will do as much as I can, as long as I can, and as hard as I can for your honor and for your glory so that the world may know you above everything else. It's not about my name. It's about his name. He's the only name that matters. And yet we live in a time where people want to get comfortable and want to get complacent and they want to just live and just think, come on, just, just leave it alone and just kind of just exist. That's not what we're called to. You see, Moses reminds the people of their purpose and their purpose was not to sit, 
to get stuck. It was to go on. It was to do something. You see, Moses said, it's time to make God's promise our possession. That's what verse number eight is all about. He says to him, behold, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess it. In Joshua, here's what God once again, he comes to Joshua in verse number one. He says, now Jericho was straightly shut up because the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, see, I have given unto thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. I look at those verses and I'm like, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. In one verse, the city's all shut up. And then the other verse, God's saying, hey, Joshua, I've given it to you. I've given it to you. Sometimes that's what God does. So I have to step back and I have to say, God, help me to see what you see so I can do what you've said. Because God said, go and take it. It's yours. It's ready. But oftentimes we just see with our eyes and we see the problems and we see this and we see that this isn't comfortable and we don't like how this is going. And instead of saying, wait a minute, what has God called us to do? What has God called me out of? Is God calling me to raise up children? Is God calling me to raise up a marriage? God's calling me to do a good job with this job. Then I need to be about the business of doing that and not get stuck thinking, oh, I can't. We can't and get lost in it. No, it's time we say, Lord, this is what you put me here for. This is what you want me to do. Before the children of Israel all went in, there was something that had to happen. And this is why. There are some people that went into promised land. There's some people that didn't. I've learned a saying. There are some people. I will see you in heaven but I may not go to the same church as you. It's just the reality of it. There are some people right now, because of 10, a minority, are being stirred up to say, this is what the majority feels like. It's not. It's 10 against a majority. And we're letting a minority gossip, slander, cause rumors, sow discord. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination. Proud look, but the last one is gossip. And we've let it run rampant, rampant. We feed on it. We look for it. We search it out. And because we're not willing to say, you know what? This is what the Bible says. We're a New Testament church. It's not about anything else. It's not about our past, what we used to do, how we like to do it. It's about how Jesus Christ labels it and how he says it's to be done. That's our method. That's our model. That's our mission is how he wants it. And anytime we divert from that, we do great harm to the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's time we say, you know what? Gossip has got to go. Touch your neighbor and say, gossip's got to go. Gossip's got to go. Gossip's got to go. Gossip's got to go. There are these things that we just can't allow. But there are these things that we do, and that's where Satan gets an inroad. The Bible says this, the devil as a roaring lion walketh, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Psalms 26, the Bible says, and the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemy. So God says, I've set a table before you, you sit down at the table, but guess who's walking around that table? It's the enemy. It's the wicked one. It's the lion. He can't get at you unless you give him an opportunity. Unless you pull up a chair, hey, listen up. Some good food here. Unless you open the door into your heart, into your mind. Some of you wonder why your life is so negative. It's because you can't have a positive life in a negative mind. And you don't realize that all the negativity you're feeding on, you're listening to, you're watching, you're taking in, you're reading, it's poisoning your own heart so that your own heart is blinded. And you can't see that people are being saved, lives are being changed, things are happening, people are being added. Instead, all you could see is just what you want to see, just what you, you think this was so good. 
And what it was was a good thing. It was manna. It was a good thing. But God said this good thing, I'm not going to use it in the next step of your life. I want to do something new. And instead of allowing God to do something new, we just hold on to what he wanted him to do in the past. And we live in the past. And we say, no. But God said there needs to be a separation. Before the men went into the promised land, this is going to get a little bit graphic, there had to be something. Something done that they hadn't done in 40 years. It's called circumcision. And if you want to know what that is, go ahead and ask Pastor Wes. He'll explain it in full detail after the service. And so what would happen, there had to be a cutting away. There had to be something where we say, you know what? There's something that's got to change. There was a sacrifice that had to be made. There was a generation that they didn't want to give up leeks and garlic. They weren't the generation to go into the next level. An old country preacher said it like this. New levels, new devils. And it's true. Every time you go to a new level, there's going to be a new devil. It's just like video games. You get a little bit stronger, the video game gets a little bit harder. Same thing with your Christian life. The things that right now you're facing, no way you could face them two years ago. God has been building you and preparing you and maturing you and getting you ready. God said, children of Israel, I've got to cut away some things. Because if we skip the price, we forfeit the promise. And there's a generation that doesn't want to pay a price. Come on, we see it today. There's a generation, you work with them, they want your fruit, but they don't want your fight. They want your position, but they don't want to work for it. They want everything that you've got, but they don't want it. When I got married, my parents said this. They said, hey, Micaiah, you're getting married. That's exciting you're getting married. Everything that you see, we have three cars, paid off home, all the furniture, TVs, all of that. I just want to let you know, when you get married tomorrow, you're not getting that. It's going to take you 30, 40 years to get that. But we got a generation of people that they get married and all of a sudden they think three cars, all the furniture, the new house, it's all going to be right there since I get married. Or they expect it. And that's not how it works. What took a generation to acquire, we expect it in a moment. We expect just to be there. And we, in Christianity, we have the same thing. People just expect, hey, I don't have to pay a price. There's always a price. The Bible says, take up your cross and follow him. There's going to be a price. There's going to be a price. There's going to be something we have to pay. And so it takes men and women of a different spirit that says, I'll pay the price. I'll bury the cross. I'll go into the next generation. I'll fight some battles. But yet what we have is some people that says, I don't want to pay a price. I want to keep everything easy. I don't want anything to change. Change is uncomfortable. Change is hard. Change is difficult. Change is depressing. Why would anybody want to change? God calls us to change. That's what the gospel is all about. It's not you being a better you. It's God being a better God in you. That's what it is. And God wants to do a transforming work in you and through you. What's sad today is we risk too little. We rescue too quick. We reward too frequently. That's our culture today. We don't have people that are willing to dare greatly. People that are willing to do incredible things. Every generation must pay a price. Stop skipping the battles. Stop walking away from the fight. Say, you know what? God has called me to fight this battle. God has called me to this generation. And I'm going to do everything that God has called me to do. But then I want us to see it's time to match my perspective with God's power. We look at ourselves and we think, God, what are you doing? I don't know if I can do this. And God's saying, you can I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can do all things. So God is wanting to do something through you. He's wanting to use you. And so our perception really determines our reality. So what are you looking at? What are you beholding? Are you looking full and deep in the Father's face and receiving direction from him? Or some gossip or an email or somebody else who's negative and critical? Where are you receiving your vision of Jesus? 
It's real easy to go and just kind of find, and I'm sorry to say it, but water seeks its own level. It's easy to find the lowest common denominator. That's easy. But where are the few? Where are the few? I love how in scripture, God doesn't say, I need an army. He doesn't say that. I love how God just says, you know what? I just need Gideon's 300. I'll do some awesome things. I just need 120 people and I will topple an empire. I'll topple the Roman empire. 120, upper room. That's where the church started, Acts. And God says, it doesn't take much. You're in a marriage. You're just like, God, how do I save this? You've got kids. You're like, how do I do this? You're in a job. You're in a situation. And God is saying, all that you need, you already have. Because I'm going to use you in a profound and powerful way. You don't need anything else. March forward in faith in what God has called you to do. You've got to ask God to help you to see what he says so that you can in turn follow it. But instead, we live with doubt. Someone's wisely said, doubt is the constant companion of every Christian. There's always going to be an element of doubt. Oh, is this the right decision? Is this the wrong decision? There's always going to be doubt. Always. One, one person said it to me like this. They said, run towards the roar. Whatever you're afraid of, run towards that. Run towards it. Somebody asked me today, they say, how do you know when to preach a message? And I say, I preach what I'm afraid to preach. Because the Bible says, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. So if there's any fear in my heart, I need to run towards that because I know God didn't give me that. So I run towards that. What are you afraid of this morning? Because I think a lot of it is just fear and insecurity. And because we're fearful and we're insecure, we lash out, we get angry, we get upset, and we do things we otherwise wouldn't do. Why? Because we're just scared. And we're not trusting the Father. We're not trusting him, how much he loves us and how much he cares about us and how much good he wants to do for, for us. He is a good father. He does care about us. He wants to do great things in your life. And so trust him. In the circumstances, trust him. Give all to him. It's been funny. I know the Bay Area is super expensive and I know we all go through it. Up until the last three months, I've never been able to afford to live in the Bay Area. I own a house. I own two cars. And I got a kid in Christian school. And I'm thinking, God, this, is, this is just doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. How, how, how are we doing this? And God says, it's me. I'll take care of you. I'll provide. I've lived in the air for nine years. Never been able to afford it. Seven years, I only made $44,000 a year. And I bought a house. And I didn't steal it. I promise you. I didn't bring a gun. Come on, give me this house. No, it's not how it happened. That's the good hand of our God. And he wants to bless you. He wants to take care of you. But are you the type of person who says, I'll do what God's called me to do. I'm not going to be dissuaded. I'm not going to be pulled back. I'm not going to be uh, pulled off of the mission that God has given us. You see, power is not based on my ability, but in God's authority and what he says and what he's called us to do. In Joshua, we see the children of Israel. In Joshua chapter number six, they started marching around a wall. In Joshua chapter number six. Can anybody tell me how many times they marched around the wall? Anybody remember? This is audience participation Sunday. Hopefully you came to talk. Seven, there we go. Excellent. You want a free TV. Congratulations. No, you didn't. Sorry. Reach under your seat and there's a key to a brand new car. I wish I was open. That'd be so cool to come to church. That would just be awesome. So fun. Maybe one of these days. Seven. So imagine the first day they go out there, all these soldiers, all these men, and they're all told, hey, put on your armor, get ready. We're going to go march around the wall. And they start marching. They're excited. These guys are like, yeah, we're going to go kill something. That's what we're going to do. That's what men do. That's what dudes do. And they're walking around and all of a sudden, Josh says, hey, as you walk around, be quiet. What? Isn't that an odd command that Joshua told the men to be quiet? Why? Because 10 men kept an entire generation from the promise because of what they said. 
The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. Sometimes that's a good rule of thumb. Just to be quiet. Just to be quiet. If I could learn that whenever I get in an argument with Jane, if I just shut up, man, life would be so much better. It really would. But I don't learn. Sometimes we're with certain people. Maybe it's just better to be quiet. Just better to keep silence. And so God says, as you march around, don't say anything. Nothing's happening. Oh, I don't get this. This is stupid. Joshua's stupid. Everything's stupid. I'm stupid. Let's walk away. That's what happens. You get in a little posse and all of a sudden you start gossiping, bickering, and you don't have reality. Because why? You only see what's down here. Only what's down here. You're not seeing the big picture. And you're trapped in your own little myopic view. All you can see is the negative. All you can see is the critical. And that's all you're fixated on. That's all you can see. Your focus determines your future. Your focus determines your future. Write it down, tweet it, mark it, put it down somewhere because your focus determines your future. What are you focusing on? And so these, these, these men, they march around the first day. Man, the guy, he comes back to his camp and his wife's like, I'm a big soldier, man. What'd you do? Who'd you kill? How many did you get today? Did you get 10 bad guys today? Come on, I'm a big soldier, man. You hunk of a man. It's like, we walked. Okay, my big soldier, man. It's all right. Tomorrow you'll get him. And the next day he goes out there and he walks around again. Hey, my big soldier, man, what'd you do today? Joshua's got these really new methods. Like he's just a, he's outside of the box. He's just kind of a different, we, we walked around Jericho. Okay, my big soldier, man. And then the third day they do it again. Fourth day they do it. Nothing's happening. Fifth day they walk around. Nothing's happening. Sixth day, nothing's happening. Seventh day, seven times they walk around and the walls come crashing down. They didn't lift a spear. They didn't lift a sword. They didn't do anything. God did it. But what if they would have stopped on lap number six? I'm worried that we have a church wanting to stop on lap number six. Just before you see God do something awesome. Not just awesome like, oh man, did you see? That was pretty cool to have that person there. No, 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 no. Groundbreaking, earth-shaking, window-rattling, awesome. God showed up, and we're right there. We got a generation that just can't keep quiet, and they just keep murmuring and complaining, and that was always a problem with the children of Israel, and it's always our problem, and now it's time to say, I'm going to keep quiet, I'm going to march. I'm going to march. I'm going to keep going, and I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to walk around, and I'm not going to stop on six. I don't care what you've got to say. I don't care what you've got to do. I'm just going to keep on walking. I'm just going to keep on going because we got seven laps to go, and I could do seven laps. Hey, my marriage isn't going so great, but I'm not going to walk out. I'm just going to keep walking. Hey, you know what? My Christian, my, my, my Christian life isn't going so well, but I'm just going to stop, give up on church, walk away. I'm just going to keep on walking. Hey, you know what? Things in my, my, my work aren't going so great, but I'm not just going to give up. I'm not just going to walk away. I'm just going to keep on walking. I'm just going to keep on going. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm just going to keep on going back into my Bible, back into my church, back into loving God, back into seeing people's lives change. I'm just going to keep on going. But we've got a generation that they get tired. The Bible says, if you've ran with the footmen and they've wearied you, how then can you run with the horses? God is saying, hey, the race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong, but it's of the Lord. It's of the Lord that he'll do it. He wants to fight for us. He wants to go before us. He wants to bring us into a promised land, but we've got a generation that are lap six quitters. They made it six laps and then they want to quit. Where's the generation that says, I'm going to go to seven. I'm going to go to seven and I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit because God's going to do something. Are you that type of person, church? Touch your neighbor and say, go to seven, go to seven, go to seven, go to seven. Don't give up. Don't back off. Don't 
don't quit. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But you just keep going and you'll see God bring the walls and bring the difficulties down in your life. And this is not just happy talk. This is me who's 10 years of ministry have seen God do things time and time and time again. God has proven himself abundantly faithful to me. How can I ever doubt him? How can I ever walk away from him? He's been too good. He's helped me get through too much. I'm not going to walk away from him now. And God says, don't give up because of your ability. It's based on his authority. But maybe you're saying, you know, I just can't. When I was younger, my parents used to do Christmas presents and they put them out throughout the month of December. They put out the presents. But what would happen by December is you'd have all these rips and holes and tears in it because we had seven kids. We'd all peek and pry. And by the end, you got a little stitch of wrapping paper on an open box. You know, we're like playing with our toys, you know, like, yeah, it's great. So my parents got a little bit smarter. So they didn't bring out the presents till Christmas Eve. We, we opened presents Christmas Eve. We're weird. And uh, we, that night, Christmas Eve, we'd open presents. Well, I remember once they started putting the presents in their, their room, in the closet, I was just like, oh, I really want to know what I'm getting. And one year, I wanted this really cool Lego set. It was huge, big box of Legos. And I'm a kid at heart, and I, Legos are fun, and also and I, we play with Legos, and, and, and we do that kind of fun stuff. And so I was looking, and I was like, man, I want to know if I got that Lego pieces. So my sister was here earlier, and I had uh, six other siblings, and I said, all right, you guys are my lookout. I'm going to go into the bedroom. This is a scouting mission. I'm going to find out what our presents are. And so I was like, all of you, you're lookout. And so, man, I got my mom's lipstick, you know, get the war paint on. And I did a little commando crawl. She had a long hallway into their room. And then the closet was just, as soon as you get the door, there's a closet. Man, I'm doing my commando crawl and I'm just going through. And I'm going to find out what we're getting for Christmas. And my brothers and sisters, all of a sudden, instead of like giving me a warning that mom and dad are coming, they're like, you're busted. I'm like, no, you know, man, there it was. My life was over, ruined at that point. I got the spanking of, if you don't believe in spankings, it wasn't spanking, it was a timeout. And I got the spanking of my life. And man, I'm still going through therapy. I still need help. It was traumatic. And my brothers and sisters, they're not the type that it's like when I, when you get in trouble, that they're like, May the odds be in your favor. They didn't do none of that. No, no, it wasn't like, dun, dun, dun. No, they didn't do that either. It was like, ha, loser. It was like they all stood there just kind of like, yeah, you getting it now, man. You're going to feel it, boy. You know, and I was like, great. This is going to be painful. But I went in with a smile. You say, why? Because the closet was open just a little bit. And just as I dove in there and I caught a glimpse of something. I caught two words, G-O, and it was my favorite little font, my favorite colors, and that stood for Lego, and I knew that no matter what I was about to go through, the next day I was getting a box of Legos for Christmas. Here's the thing about you and I. The Bible says that we have seen the resurrected Lord. We have beheld his face. We've seen him. How can we give up? How can we walk away? How can we get back? How can we stop? Because we've seen Jesus. He's resurrected in our lives. He's done something in our hearts. How can we give up on him? How can we walk away? How can we take this glorious gospel? And how can we just close it and say, I don't care about it? How can we walk away from the lost? How can we walk away from the widow? How can we walk away from the orphan? How can we walk away from the homeless and the poor and the hurting and the needy and the divorced and the addict and the people that are suffering because we just don't see a risen Jesus? We need to get a view of him that is high and lifted up and we'll never desert him. We'll never walk away. We'll never depart. Get our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's who Jesus is. Put your hands together and give God some praise this morning to church.
Dear Heavenly Father, we need you. Lord, we live as a ministry, as a church. We live at a crossroads. Determining what to do. Do we go back or do we go forward? It's a tough decision. Some are wrestling with it. They can't move on. In their spirit, they're not sure what to do. And Father, everything that they tried doesn't give them peace. They don't sleep. They don't have your peace ruling and reigning in their hearts. They're unsettled. And we as a church just need to get our eyes on you. To look full in your face. And to see you in a new way. Father, more than anything, once a church gets a glimpse of Jesus, we're forever changed. Lord, would you do a work of transformation in our hearts? We're at a time in our nation when we need you. We don't need a politician. We don't need anything else. We just need you. And I pray that we as a church would rise up and say, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to walk away from my relationships. I'm not going to walk away from my God, my Bible, my church. I'm not going to quit right now. It's too soon. But I'm going to be moving forward with a heart filled with faith. Because we've got a God who loves us. We're going to follow him. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? There was a time when we would come and we'd call it an old-fashioned altar is what they would call it. And it's where we used to come down in front of the church and we would kneel down and we'd pray and we'd get things right between us and God. We don't necessarily do that anymore. But it's still good to say, God, my heart is going to be my altar. God, what in my life is not right with you? God, I've been jealous, I've been bitter, I've been angry, I've been hurt, I've been disappointed. I've been, you name it. And he said, Lord, right now, between me and you, I'm going to make this right. I'm not going to leave this place with this heaviness, this burden. I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to walk out changed. What I came in with, I'm not taking back with me. Because what I've learned on Sunday is to help me on my Monday. And I don't want to be the same person. I want to be new. Because that's what God is in the business of doing. Making all things new. He wants to transform you. Have you lost your joy? Your peace? Your passion? God's saying, let's get it back. Let's get it back. Let's go on for God and his glory.